Good morning. What you guys just did is actually what I am preaching about today. You, you felt it necessary to celebrate what it is that you just saw on that video. And you factored it out, you reasoned it out in your head, and you thought the appropriate amount of celebration at this moment would be... Good job! Great job, guys. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for being here today. This is one of those days that it, it reminds you how smart you are for living in the Northwest. and it's, it's great. I'm glad you're here today. I want to talk about celebration. But in order to really get you into the right frame of mind for how I'm going to deliver this message today, I need to show you a, another video. So let's dim the lights and take a look at this. Have you noticed how we love to celebrate? Four tenths of a second down by two. Especially sports. Stoudemire for the win. Will it count? Will it count? We scream, jump around, throw our fists in the air, and we celebrate like, well, like it's not just a game. Iowa's unbeaten streak on the line. They've won 11 in a row. It doesn't get any bigger or better than this play. Julianos and Strauss at the bottom of your screen. McNutt at the top. Morris, the fullback, is in the block. Moyaki on the wing. He goes in motion. Two seconds ago. Last play of the game. Stanzi, McNutt, touchdown! What is it about sports that ignites a passion in us unlike anything else? And why is it that some plays, when we see them, we think, wow, that, that was amazing. Some might even say, that was miraculous. But God played a part in making that happen. 37 seconds left in the game. Petrov with it. The Americans on top, 4-3. to three. Long shot. Craig able to get a piece of it to sweep it away. 28 seconds. The crowd going insane. Carlamon. Shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. Now Johnson. 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. The Yelechinov gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. Miracle is an event that is attributed to the divine. The belief that God showed up and caused something to happen. Or maybe 
what it is about sports, but there's something that there is a, is a deep connection between God and sports. <laughs> you guys are ready. <laughs> Seriously, though. It, it, there are people who are sports fans who aren't God fans, and yet they'll bring God into sports. You saw in the video there from 1980 what's considered to be the miracle on ice when the USA beats the, the Soviets in, in the semifinals of the, the Olympics there. And it was amazing. I remember in 1972, even though I was only two years old, the immaculate reception, Franco Harris, Steelers, Raiders, not, 2000, it was the year 2000, the Music City Miracle. Tennessee Titans over the Buffalo Bills. And it, there's something in sports that it, it's hard to describe, but God gets involved in sports. And I believe that when we get involved in sports and we see something that's taking place that's miraculous, we can't help ourselves but celebrate. I personally know that being a Mariner fan has drawn me closer to God. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I pray a lot more. Two different ways that I pray. One, um, I, I am praying that God would help them to win a game. They are right now losing 14 in a row. If they lose today, they will set, uh, set a whole new standard for the word suck in sports. <laughs> and so I pray that they'll win. And then, like yesterday, watching them blow it in the seventh inning, uh, the words that came out of my mouth and the thoughts that went through my head and the displaced aggression I had to fall to my knees and to repent before God, and that causes me to pray. And I know that that works for you guys, too. I know that, that many of you who are sports fans, you find that at times you feel yourself needing more God in your life. Well, I believe that there is something in sports that is revealed in a part of our design and our nature. And so if you're a fill-in-the-blank kind of person, the first fill-in-the-blank for you today is this. All creation has a desire to celebrate. I believe that. All creation has a desire to celebrate. And I'd even go beyond that and say that designed into all creation is this desire to celebrate. I want to read you a passage out of Psalm 96. Listen to what it says, starting in verse 11. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest rustle with praise before the Lord, for he is coming. When I read this, I'm not thinking of a mild celebration. I'm thinking about what we just saw in that video where all of creation, the sea and everything in it, and the trees and the bushes and all the wheat and everything, it's just going nuts. Why? Because God is coming and God is worth celebrating. And this picture that I get is something that it can't help itself, that it's, it's uncontrollable inside of nature, that this desire is so strong, it is so compelling that it can't help itself but celebrate the coming of God. In fact, we are told that when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem about a week or so before his crucifixion, that all the people are screaming and they're shouting. In fact, in Luke 1938, it says this, Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. This is what they're shouting. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, 
Rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He, Jesus, replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Why? I believe it's because all creation is designed to celebrate. Now, I do know this, that our passionate celebrations may be pale in comparison to what they should be for the things of God. I believe that while we get so excited about things like sports and all this other stuff, that while it is a glimpse of the kind of celebration that is taking place in heaven for godly things, that there is indeed a, a misguidedness, a misdirection of the way that we celebrate. And today, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about why and, and how celebration is built into us and what it was really meant for. So the next fill in your blank, if you're a fill in the blank person, is this. It's do I celebrate the things of God like I should? And I want you to personalize that. I'm not asking you to think about me. I'm asking you to think about you. Personalize that. Do I celebrate the things of God like I should? And to give you an example what some of the things of God are versus the things of man, there's a passage of scripture I want to read to you out of Luke 15. It says this. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp, sweep the entire house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call on her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, I don't think that that celebration is mild. Maybe you do. Some people picture that as being kind of a, oh look, that guy just gave his heart to Christ. Wow. That was cool. Hey, did you see that? That's not what it's like. It's more like this. Yes! They're high-fiving one another, maybe chest-bumping one another. That's what it's like. Why? If you think about it like this, sports fans, when you are watching the big game and you know there's so much on the line, you know that if your team loses, you're going to be sick to your stomach. You're going to feel the pain. And we do, don't we? Can I get an Amen. When your team loses the big game, it hurts so bad. And truly, it's, it's been really well documented that on big games like that, when sports fans have this displaced aggression, they hurt their family, they hurt their, their kids, they hurt their loved ones because they're so angry and it hurts so much. But seen in their joy, seen in their celebration, oftentimes is the fact that they know that they don't have to feel the pain. That somebody else is feeling that pain, not me. And they're celebrating because they know what they've missed. They know what they've avoided. 
And it's no comparison. No comparison at all between what's being avoided when we're talking about the spiritual life. Hell is real. Hell is real. And the celebration that is taking place in heaven, I imagine it being that when a person, when their heart finally softens and they, they begin to make that first move toward God mentally, intellectually, or even in their heart, standing up and going forward for prayer or going to a friend and asking the question, how do I receive Christ into my heart? That it's in that moment that that celebration erupts in heaven and the noise is deafening. Why? Because those who are in heaven know what's been avoided and they are celebrating that which has been received and it is not mild. Those are the things of God that, that God and all who love him celebrate. But we get misguided sometimes because of sin and selfishness and all the things that get in the way. We lose sight of what's most important to God and we put our focus on other things. And as a direct result, we miss out on celebrating the kinds of things that we should be celebrating. Now, I know that that's a, a rough place for any of us to be when we start to think about do I really celebrate the things of God like I should an understanding that the things of God are when a lost sinner who is dead where they stand turns to Christ should cause us to celebrate much like what heaven does I think about when we have a baptism service here what would it be like if this place were to erupt with celebration because we know what is really taking place. That a person has been spared from hell and they have entered into a secure and safe relationship with their Savior because he has offered to them and they have received his grace and forgiveness. His grace meaning that he takes our ugliness and he shields it from the view of God with his beauty. We sang in a song this morning about the blood of Christ covering us. When we think about that, when we really stop and think about what that means, it means that, that God has paid the penalty for our sins. We sing a song, above all, I live for your, your, for your glory. Is that really true? When you sing those words, is it really true about your life that above everything else you live for the glory of God? If you can answer that 100%, then you're a better Christian and more holy than what I am. But yet I sing that song, and that's where my heart longs to be, but that's not where my heart is at. Something is wrong in me. It is the sin that still lurks within me and it causes me to see things in this world differently than what I should. It's like I'm looking through a lens and my perspective has changed because of everything that I see through it. And what God is wanting to do is move that away and put a new one in front of me and help me see things from a different perspective to help me see the things that God celebrates and then I would join with him in that. But instead, sometimes I'm misguided and I'm celebrating the things of this earth, things that are important to me. And it's not that I believe that God wants us to celebrate them less in order to make our celebration with God seem more. I don't think he has a problem with us celebrating a fantastic shot or a big game. But I think what he wants to see is from us the celebration of the things of God that makes all of this seem like, well, it's just a game. So how do we get there? How do we get there and why aren't we there? Before I get to how we get there, I wanna talk about why we don't. And I believe that the best way to describe it is with a story. It's the story of the prodigal son. Perhaps some of you have heard of it. Let me give you a little bit of a backdrop to this story. 
There's a dad and there's, there's two sons, an older son, a younger son. We don't know how old they are. They're probably in their teens or 20s or something like that. But the younger son decides, you know what, dad? I wish you were dead. Yeah, I, I, I do. I wish you were dead so I could have your inheritance, you know, and then I could go and I could do what I want to do with my, uh, with my part of uh, your estate. And so I uh, kind of wish you were dead. And the dad's like, well, hey, I'll tell you what. Why don't I give you a cash equivalent of what my estate would be and you can take it and go. Go do what you think's best. And he's like, yeah, cool. So he takes off. And the story goes that he's squandering this money. He is living a foolish life. What he thinks is a great life. And eventually the money runs out and he finds himself in dire straits. And he comes to a point in his life where he realizes this is dead end. Ah, I can't live like this. And he starts to calculate his options and he's like, well, if I go home, and I live like a slave, not even treated like a son anymore in, in the house of my father. It would be better that I live like that than what I am in right now. And so he begins his trek heading home. And as the story goes, this father is watching for his son. And when he sees him afar off, he runs to him. And the son is trying to explain, you know, Dad, you know, I'm terrible, I'm rotten, I deserve him. The dad's having nothing to do with it. He's too busy slobbering all over him with kisses and hugs and welcoming him. And he's trying to say, I, 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 don't, I don't deserve to be here. And I'm so sorry and everything. And the dad's just mauling him with love and affection. And he throws this terrific celebration at a party for him. Now let's pick it up. It's in Luke 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to, and all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. See, this son was a good son. Let's not get lost in this story and, and, and forget that point. This was a good son. Obedient, faithful, hardworking. All those things matter to God. God loves those things in any of us. But he missed the thing that was most important, first important to God. And as a direct result, because he couldn't see through the lens that God wanted him to see through, he wouldn't celebrate. Does that make sense? Hello. I, I can't see you guys too well, so I need your vocal response to make sure we're still tracking, okay? Okay? Good, good. He couldn't celebrate because he was focused on something else. He was looking through a different lens of life. And this, I believe, is a parallel to the way that a lot of us are. We're faithful, we're obedient, and we're hardworking. But oftentimes what we miss is the most important thing. The most important thing. 
We can continue all day long in this kind of environment, congratulating one another and letting one another know how much we love one another because of their faithfulness and because of their obedience and the hard work that we contribute in order to make all this possible. But if we don't translate that somehow, some way into helping dead people become alive people, to helping lost people become found people, then we are missing the most important thing to God. And we're not going to be able to celebrate it because we don't even care about it. And what God was saying through this story is, is this is worth celebrating. I want lost people to be found. They have to be found. And this is so important that I will kill my son in order to make it happen. And we lose that sometimes. Instead, we settle for faithful obedience and hardworking. All great things, but we must be about evangelism, bringing people who are lost into a place where they can be found, helping dead people where they stand become alive in Christ. But we miss that. We lose that sometimes. We get selfish, just like this, this older son, looking through the wrong lens of life. I remember the story, and I'm sure that some of you are familiar with the Bible. You know that even the best followers of Christ can become lost because of a perspective, a view, looking through the, the wrong lens. I remember when Peter came to Jesus, before Jesus went to the cross, he'd been explaining that he's going to die on a cross and all this stuff, and Peter takes him aside and he's like, listen, bro, man, it's not going to happen. Man, you're not going to be going to the cross. Everything's going to be okay. Just chill. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan, for you are looking at things from a human perspective and not from the perspective of God. Peter! It happens, doesn't it? Sometimes we are looking through the wrong lens, and as a direct result, we're playing into the hand of the enemy rather than playing into the hand of our God. Which leads me to the next fill-in-the-blank. Am I working with God or against him? Am I working with God or against him? Now, I want to tell you this. Before you go into any kind of despair, there is the Spirit of Christ that is working within us. And He is going to do an amazing work in all of us. I believe that. Even though I know that I am not where I should be in my relationship with Christ, and in this way, that I don't necessarily celebrate the things of God like I know that I should, I do know this, that God is working me. In fact, when Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he said this to them on two more than two, but on two separate occasions, I want to remind you guys of this. In Philippians 1, 6, he says this to that church. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And then later on, he says to them again, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is in us and he is working within us. There is no doubt about that in my mind whatsoever. That God will be faithful, that he will continue to finish this work inside of every single one of us. The issue is going to be, again, am I working with God or am I working against God? It's a partnership. It's a relationship. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32, Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. He says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, 
He has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You see, Paul, as he explains to them, he says, guys, there's this Holy Spirit. He is living within you. You've been marked. You've been sealed is what that word means. You've been identified, imprinted upon by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of Christ. It is a promise that you will be saved in the day of redemption. But while the Spirit is working in you, he says to them, you participate in this. The action there is placed upon us to get rid of these things that are in our life. What's the Holy Spirit do? He begins to convict us of these things and remind us that these are the things that don't bring a smile to God's face. These are the things that do bring a smile to God's face. These are the things that you need to get rid of into your life or out of your life and quit inviting them back in. And I know that this world is filled with all kinds of examples of evil behavior and bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander. We can't look at the news and not see it. Whether you look at it online or you hear it on the radio or you see it on TV or you read it in a paper, this world is filled with it. It is. And you know how easy it is. I do too. How easy it is to get sucked into a negative mindset, to become bitter and jaded and start to believe things about people that aren't necessarily true. And even if they are true, we stop loving them. We start categorizing them. God does not want that for us and his people. What he wants for us is to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and to live out our lives in such a way that we are progressively on a trajectory of becoming more and more like him and looking at life through his lens and celebrating it in a way that makes him smile and helps everybody else to see that dude is different. That gal is different. And that's what he wants for us. And God is going to complete that in us. But we participate in that. And today... You participated in it. You did. God drew you to this place today. You could have chosen to go anywhere or do anything you wanted to, but you were obedient to him. For those who were watching it online, same thing. You could have been doing anything, but you chose to be in an environment right here where there are people who love God and celebrate him, and if they really don't, they're at least they're acting like it, and they're trying it. And you're a part of it. And you know what? This one little hour of your week, one hour of your week might just make the difference and help counteract all the other crap you're going to face in the course of this week. Did you know that? Some people have told me that it fills them up and it gives them strength and power and ability. Let me tell you something though, you can go a lot more than just an hour. There's other things that you could be doing, opportunities to serve throughout the week. You've got things that you can listen to on the radio. Maybe it's eliminating some things, not just adding to it, I mean, if you're the kind of person who is playing online games or your video games and you know that these things are just driving you up a wall and it's causing you to, to act out in ways that are harsh and bitter and angry, maybe you need to stop. If you're like me, maybe it's time to turn off the Mariners. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, click. Maybe it's elimination. Maybe it's addition. I don't know. But be obedient to God's Holy Spirit as he works and woos you closer into a relationship with him. I know that this church, I know that this church loves you. I know that we have great designs and ideas for what we're going to do to love this community. But you need to know that the only way that this church moves forward is with your support. The way that you serve, the way that you give, the way that you show up, all of it. 
We don't receive any financial support from any other organization or institution or people group. You're it. Oftentimes people say, man, we used to do this, but we don't do that anymore. Well, here's the reason why we can't afford to do it anymore. Everything that we do is based upon what you give. Be faithful, be obedient, be hardworking, yes, but at the same time, be sensitive to the fact that what God wants to do is take those people who are within this community and bring them into this place and help them to see what the celebration of God really looks like in, in you as they come to know him. That's my prayer for you. And I pray that's your prayer as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for what it is that you are doing in their lives and how you are drawing them toward yourself. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see through the different lens of life, that you would help us to understand and with this new perspective, come to a place, Lord, where we would celebrate in such a way that it would make a smile bust across your face and that it would act as a testimony for anybody and everybody who would ever see us that we are people who love you, who love you. Lord, I believe wholeheartedly in your patience, in your goodness, in your mercy. I have needed your grace so much in, in my life, and I am thankful for your forgiveness. And Lord, it is because of that that you tolerate my behavior while you are still working within me to change me. I want to work with you. I pray that everybody here would do the same. And I realize that there are some who are in this room today who may not know you. They may not care for you. And if that's you, and you know that in your heart that you don't have a relationship with God and you really don't know what it means maybe to even have one, but you know you want it. You know you've, you've wanted it maybe for a long time. I'm going to make a simple prayer. And you take these words and you make them your own. And in that, you will be asking God for a relationship with him. Make these words your own. Father, I ask that you would forgive me. I ask that you would take all my sin and that you would take all my shame and everything that I have ever done to harm you or to harm others and that you would take it away from me, that you would forgive me. I pray that you would help me to forgive those who have harmed me as you have forgiven me. And I pray that you would take control of this life and make something beautiful out of it, that I would live from this day forward above all for your glory. And if you've made that prayer your own, welcome to the family of God. Father, I ask that you bless those individuals who have done that. I ask that you bless every single person here, Lord, today, and help us all to celebrate you in such a way that it acts as a profound testimony to this world. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. The ushers are going to come forward. We're going to sing through this last song. And the uh, usher's going to pass out the offering bags. If you're new with us today and you did fill out that, that, that connection card, that communication card, fold that up, put that in the, uh, the offering bag, and we'd love to be able to connect with you. And I'll come back up after this song and dismiss us. A couple things before you go. Uh, if you made that prayer your own today, I invite you to pick up one of these packets on your way out. There's uh, some on each table by the door. And there's some stuff in there. Please fill that out. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to come talk to me after the service or one of the people that are going to be up here available for prayer, just make your way forward where everybody else is making their way out. If you need prayer, come forward. Also, communion is available at the front corners of the auditorium here if you'd like to take that today. Thanks. God bless you guys. Enjoy the day. See you next week. <laughs>